jarring mix of themes old and more recent tells you that you're listening to the Power 3 podcast where three lifelong grumpy middle-aged Doctor Who fans discuss, enthuse and occasionally criticise three different adventures from TV, audio stories or novels of our favourite time-travelling hero. Right gentlemen, how have you been coping with the coronavirus outbreak? Are you... uh, are you, I was going to say, are you pleasuring yourselves? <laughs> are, you, <laughs> are you consoling yourselves with uh, some classic who? I've been mainly um, keeping busy this week with my um, my big finish vortex duties. Uh-huh. Uh, this week I've spoken with a Time Lord, uh, quite a few actors and several uh, several writers and uh, directors and producers. So I've been using that as my keeping busy way. I've actually, I'm actually working on four issues concurrently. So it'll mean uh, when things hopefully go back to normal before too long, that uh, I can enjoy some slightly easier months. And then late in the evenings, I've been enjoying the wonders of Disney Plus and working my way through Marvels and Humans. All right. Oh, really? Yeah, my, my friend Ian's been watching Inhumans and he's, um, he's really been enjoying it. He was saying he, he really surprised that kind of ended the way it did and didn't do better he's been quite enjoying it Don't, i haven't seen I've it only reached yet. episode three so oh, no spoilers no, please <laughs> well, I know, well i haven't that's what i'm saying i haven't watched it i know nothing about it i know that ian's been enjoying it and um, he's been asking me for sort of tips on what comics to read and to get some more you know in humans action going on yeah yeah I, I finally watched the first episode of the mandalorian the other day so i've made a wee start on that yeah me too i watched the first two episodes Kenny, can you tell us, are you allowed to tell us the names of any of these directors, writers, actors? Yep. Yeah, um, it's, it's effectively um, previewing what's coming up in the next issue of, but this will be the June issue of Vortex, so it'll be previewing, previewing what's coming up in July. So, yes, I've been talking with um, Scott Hancock, who's uh, producing some of the Fifth Doctor audios. Um, I've been speaking with the writers of the next Missy box set, who I don't think have been announced, so I'd better not say. Um, and generally just having a lot of fun chatting with lovely people. Um, yes, I'm quite a happy bunny, enjoying my furlough, making the most of it, as well as getting the garden finally into shape. And yesterday, I tidied up my bedroom cupboard and sorted out all the DVDs that I've got in there. How exciting am I? You're just living the rock and roll lifestyle, Kenny. Um, I myself will be copying you. I've got my my task for the week ahead is to finally gut my study and get it into some kind of working order. I had a, a, a job interview this week. Wouldn't tell you who was interviewing me, but it was, it was a very senior person. And uh, it was a Zoom interview so I was going to be on his screen when I spoke to him and I looked at I did a test and I thought I can't have those books in the background because it was all Doctor Who Target and James Bond paperbacks and they weren't even they weren't even assembled in a tidy way so I spent about 20 minutes replacing them with all of the you know uh, 
pompous biographies of, and, uh, that I could find. Pierre was suitably impressed. Uh, well, he would have been, I'm sure, had he been another end of the screen. <laughs> I had a quite productive day yesterday. A friend of mine gave me a new television about six months ago, so I finally took my old television down to the bins. That's about as exciting <laughs> as it got. Um, been reading the new issue of Doctor Who magazine this week because after after reading it for like everyone else for forty odd years, I finally took out the subscription offer last week or, or a couple of weeks ago, I should say, and the latest issue rocked in on Monday, so I've been enjoying that. The um, I have to say my, my hi absolute highlight was um was Lou Stringer's Daft Dimension comedy strip. The the final panel was hilarious. He just got the way he's just drawn each of the other doctors was very very funny. So cheers, Lou. I used to have a subscription to Doctor Who magazine. I, I, I think I cancelled it around about July 2017, but I still I still buy it occasionally. I had a subscription back in the late 80s, early 90s, but ever since then I've just been buying it off the shelf and thankfully found mine in Sainsbury's last week. I love the freebies with obviously all the great season 14 coverages. Very enjoyable. And I like yeah. the, the console room so you can marry it up with your character options, action figures. Have you done that yet, Kenny? No, I haven't yet. I'm actually going to oh, copy really? it. All right, you surprised me. I thought you'd been doing that straight away. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> right, let's press on, gentlemen. We've got three, uh, well, two television adventures and one uh, audio adventure. So we'll start with this little clip from School Reunion. Hello, Sarah Jane. You've regenerated. Yeah, half a dozen times since we last met. You look incredible. So do you. <laughs> like I told. What are you doing here? Wow. UFO sighting, school gets record results, I couldn't resist. What about you? Same. I thought you died. I waited for you. You didn't come back, and I thought you must have died. I lived. Everyone else died. What do you mean? Everyone died, sir. I can't believe it's you. Okay. Now I can. Did you hear that? Who's she? Rose, Sarah Jane. Sarah Jane Rose. Hi. Nice to meet you. You can tell you're getting older, your assistants are getting younger. I'm not his assistant. No. Get you time. Kenny, can you tell us what TARDISFANDOM.com says about this particular adventure? Indeed. School Reunion was the third episode of Series 2 of Doctor Who. It continued from the prelude established in Tardisode 3 and saw the start of Mickey Smith's travels in the TARDIS. This episode was most notable for marking the return of original series companions Sarah Jane Smith and K-9, both having last appeared on screen in 1983's The Five Doctors. With Sarah Jane's inclusion in this story, it established the current series was not a reboot, but rather a continuation of the original series. K-9 Mark III was destroyed and replaced by a new model at the end of the episode. Months after this episode aired, rumours of a spin-off series with Sarah were confirmed by the BBC and the Sarah Jane Adventures premiered on BBC One on the 1st of January 2007. This story is the first to bring up the impact travelling with the Doctor as the companion has on one's life, even providing insight on the Doctor's perspective 
notably why he never usually came back for a companion. Well, that's really disappointing. There's not enough spurious crap in there. I'm really disappointed. Well, we want more. We want more spurious crap. You're absolutely right. Maybe they've maybe they've gone through it and taken some of it out. I I very much doubt that. <laughs> School reunion was such an important episode, wasn't it? For for the reasons that Kenny's just given. You know, it was a, a, a reunion with Sarah Jane Smith, Liz Sladen re- resurrecting a part. Um, for those of us who, who didn't, actually, we weren't entirely sure. I mean, we were pretty sure that this was a continuation of the classic series, but this was the confirmation that everything that had gone before was part of the canon, and it was just so exciting to see uh, Liz Sladen in that role again. I, when I, I bored you before about how I met her at a BBC uh, reception uh, in 2007, and what I said to her at the time, and, it, and it's absolutely true, I said to her, you broke my heart, you broke my 12-year-old heart when you left the TARDIS. Uh, it, it was a traumatic experience. I'd never become as attached to any companion as I had uh, to Sarah Jane Smith. Even Joe Grant, who was my first companion, really the first one that I remember, and I was very sad at the end of The Green Death, and I'd never seen Doctor Who do emotion in that way before. You know, that scene where Bessie trundles along the, 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 the hillside with the, the moon or the star or the sun, whatever it is, you know, glaring in, in, the, in the background. And that was a very emotional event for all of us. But when Sarah Jane left the TARDIS at the end of Hand of Fear, it was just... It was pretty traumatic, and it was just lovely seeing her back again. And when she, and when she tells the doctor off, and you can see how hurt she was, that he didn't go back for her. You know, I was cheering her on. I was, yeah, you're right. The doctor's an absolute bastard. Um, and I, 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 it was wonderful for that. The rest of the story was also good. I wouldn't say it was the best story that we've had in the the reinvented series. I love Anthony Head. Uh, I love everything that he has ever done, basically. I, I became a huge fan of his during the, the run of Buffy. He's very good in this. He was always going to be a very good villain. It's a worthy and it's a, you know, it's a decent episode, but of course, whatever, it's probably good that they had a story that wasn't the strongest of this series uh, used for this episode because whatever the story was and however the supporting actors were, it was always going to be overshadowed by Sarah Jane's return. So it's probably better that it wasn't a stronger episode. There was no reason to have uh, a stronger episode because it didn't need to be. It had Sarah Jane in it. Absolutely. It's, um, it's very interesting. I When I watched it, a lot of what I have to say about this is quite similar to what I was saying in our last episode about um, The Girl in the Fireplace. I was, it was the first time I'd watched it in a very, very long time. And again, I was just struck by how good it, just overall, how good it was, how easy it was to watch. There was nothing that got in the way. It kept moving. Your attention was held. The thing I wanted to ask you about it, Tom, was how did you feel about, um, you know, we talked when we were doing The Girl in the Fireplace about, you know, I was saying how I didn't, wasn't too fond of the, the romanticizing of the Doctor. And how, how did you feel about the way that they kind of um, framed Sarah Jane talking about her, friendship stroke relationship with the doctor in the way you know the way she was talking to, to to rose about it how did you feel about all that you know in the last episode we talked about you know madame de pompadour and how i think it was necessary to kind of broaden the doctor's emotional responses in that way i mean granted i take what you said at the time that they did it too often especially in the matt smith era but 
I think this was another example of the writers and, and Russell T. Davis acknowledging that in the first decade of the 21st century, you couldn't just have this kind of almost two-dimensional character of the Doctor. If he's yeah. got, he's got to have feelings, and he's got to have a sense of responsibility. And if he doesn't live up to that sense of responsibility, he's got to be challenged on it. And that's what was happening all through that episode, because yeah. we all felt, you know, back in 1977, we all felt betrayed and let down by the Doctor getting rid of of Sarah, and yeah. and we, 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 you know, we, we missed her and. Frankly, you know, none of us really understood why the Doctor never went back for her. We all wanted him to go back for her. We knew that he wouldn't because that's not the way the programme worked. But I think when you're reinventing a series and you're trying to broaden the audience and make the character relevant to a new audience, you absolutely have to challenge him over stuff like that, over some of the shit that he's done. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting because I'm obviously... Oh, sorry, Ken. Sorry, I was just going to say... The way that series two obviously panned out, the whole arc was about the Doctor and Rose relationship, and it's interesting. This is the one that really kind of builds and sets up in that. And I, I, the other thing I wanted to say was, um, when it was two thousand and six, when it was on, I was I was bawling my eyes out when K nine <laughs> got blown up at the. <laughs> it was so nice Thank to see you. the big dog again, you know. Um, it was it was like just Davy's final scene when he tell, you know tells him you know you're a good dog. It was like oh oh, oh, oh <laughs> terrible. <laughs> see, I love K nine. This is, I'm just shocked that this discussion's all been all about Sarah Jane Smith so far, when really we should be discussing K9, who is a, a far more complex and in-depth character who witnessed huge character development over his years in the TARDIS. And just You're at it. No, I love K9. I'm, I'm a huge fan of K9. Um, I think... Um, the, the affection when, with the Doctor's canine, the, the absolute glee that David Tennant puts into that, it just sums up. It just He's so pleased to see canine again. Um, yeah. And it's, it's just an absolute joy. And obviously, the first scene when he is reintroduced to Sarah Jane, obviously, I mean, yeah, I suppose we should really talk about her somehow. Um, yeah, just the, the look that he has on his face and just sort of like the, it's the, you know, trying to restrain his joy. And obviously, being a far more tactile doctor, you can tell that he's holding back the urge to go and give her a big hug. Yeah, um, I think it's wonderful, and just the whole scene, particularly when we get um, when Sarah first finds the TARDIS in the in the school with the lighting on it and everything. It's just so well done that scene. Absolutely, I mean that scene, of course, is the one where um, I remember when Sarah Jane says to the doctor, "You've regenerated," and he says, "Half a dozen times since we last met." And on transmission, everyone kind of went, oh, hang on a minute, she met the fifth doctor. So he's miscounted there. Of course, we now know that there was, a, <laughs> there was another doctor in between Paul McGarr and Christopher Eccleston. So that was the first clue. <laughs> that was the first exactly. clue. There was a it's all there. Can, can, I, can I be a, a fan geek at this point? And, and we've now established that when the doctors themselves meet their future selves, uh, they, they hold no memory of that past the adventure. Remember when... John Hart says to Matt Smith, I won't remember any of this, will I? He says, no, you won't. And I, I assume that means that when William Hartnell was brought in to fight Omega, he, he didn't remember afterwards. Same with Patrick Troughton. So maybe there's a similar effect when companions meet future doctors, they don't remember them. 
So, so yeah. when David Tennant said since we last met, he meant since the TARDIS dropped her off in Croydon or Aberdeen, whatever was the case. Oh, yeah. yeah, I think I think that was definitely the case at the time. Um, and you know maybe the the special effect, maybe the special nature of the of the um, the death zone on Gallifrey maybe means that you know once you've been there, you don't maybe you don't remember everything. But I think Kenny and I all really say now is it's a nice little it's a nice little retcon, isn't it? That you know to imagine that yeah. that Tennant was meaning the the war doctor. Absolutely. I think the intention was that he was meaning, you know, as far as he's concerned, the last time he'd seen her, he was still the fourth yeah. doctor. How good was Noel Clark in this episode, though? He never gets enough credit. He's tremendous. So, so funny. He uh, stole the first part of Star Trek Into Darkness. Uh, I don't know if you've seen that, but, but yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, that whole scene, in fact, was taken as a, a, an extended trailer for that movie. And he doesn't have enough of lines in it, but he's superb. I mean, he he's so powerful and ominous, and he, he's genuinely yes. a great technical actor. Just you know, he was in Doctor Who as well. But I was really impressed when I saw him in, in Star Trek Into Darkness. I think the whole stuff with the analogy of the tin dog is really, really nicely done, as you know, sort of like being the the gooseberry in the TARDIS. It's quite, um, it's, it's really well played, and the look that he has there, just sort of like the sort of the remorse that he almost has in his face and realises, hang on a minute, I'm never going to be the Doctor's best mate. I'm just, the, I'm just the other one who's there for the rides. I think he plays it so wonderfully, just that the look of hurt in his face, he absolutely nails it. Really, really good. It's a shame that he never got his name in the credits, as uh, would happen in later years, um, as yeah, one of the companions. But um, you know what? He's, he absolutely merited it. That's fair. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's it's a it's a cracking story overall. I think you're right, Tom, as well, when you say that the main the the um the sort of B plot of the teachers eating the pupils <laughs> quite rightly kind of falls into the sort of second place, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And also, you know, Kenny, you mentioned David Tennant's reaction when he first sees K nine. That's the genius of the writing in this episode, because Tennant was a fan when K nine, you know, was a, a a permanent member of the crew. And he was speaking as a fan. He wasn't just speaking as the character, the Doctor. And when he said K9 and he was so full of joy, that was all of us. That was, Even those of us who didn't particularly think that having a robot dog was a great idea, all these years later, we were so delighted to see him back. And Tennant represented all of us in that. And I think that, that was it's such a clever way of writing a drama that you appeal simultaneously to the fans but also to a wider audience uh, and, and I think for that reason alone this is a great classic episode. Definitely. I think the most important thing about the story is that at the end of the day the person who gets all the credit is Kenny so I'm quite happy to take all the credit for this episode too. <laughs> and on that note I am not Unit 117 I am Ramana Varatralunda <laughs> I have no choice but to let the Daleks dehumanize me, but I will not tolerate the same treatment from you. Right. I think Evelyn has created some kind of feedback loop. Oh, that is, after all, my forte. Romana. Doctor. 
You're wearing the wrong body. No, I'm wearing the right body. Just not necessarily in the right order. David, what does TARDISFANDOM.com say about the apocalypse element? Well, Tom, the apocalypse element was the 11th story in Big Finish's monthly range. It was written by Stephen Cole and featured Colin Baker as the sixth Doctor, Maggie Stables as Evelyn Smythe, and Lala Ward as Romana too. It was That means the second Romana. It doesn't mean Romana as well. Um, it was the first story to feature Ward's reprising her role of Romana. It was also the first audio story to feature the sixth Doctor and the Daleks. The last story... Ah, here we are. Here's some, some supplementary <laughs> material. The last story to feature the sixth Doctor and the Daleks was 1993's Doctor Who magazine comic story, Emperor of the Daleks. There we are. The spine of this story's CD case was marked Dalek Empire Part 2, marking it as taking place as part of Big Finish's series of linked audio stories that formed a large and long setting for the Dalek Empire during a particular phrase of their galactic expansion. I'm so glad I'm not drunk and trying to read that out. Right, that's it. That's all. Oh, Hell, is that it? Okay. Yeah, it's quite short. Point, really, yeah. I'm amazed. Right, Kenny. I'm absolutely amazed. What do you think of is this a is this a worthy entry into the canon by Big Finish? I would say absolutely yes. I mean, really, this is a story that should not have um, made an impact, given that all the elements and as it ironically were, um, that are going on. You've got um, Romana's returning. You've got Gallifrey. You've got the Daleks invading Gallifrey. You've got uh, references to the Eye of Harmony, and there's just so much going on here, um, and it really shouldn't have worked because when you've got this many elements, you just think, no, that's just too much. But actually, it does. I think we're blessed with another outstanding performance from Colin Baker, uh, who's absolutely full of vigor and energy in this one, and um, particularly when he gets to meet Lala, and the pair of them have been friends for years, and I think that. That really does come across. It's old friends meeting again. Is that true? They've, um, they've been friends off, you know, in real life uh, for a while. Yes. How did that come about? Was that through their Doctor Who connections? I think they'd met in the convention circuit over the years, but oh, they got on really, really well. I think. I mean, I think there's just so much going on, particularly when you've got the Eye of Harmony, um, temporal powers, and just it's an absolute, you know, nightmare of things. But I, I just find it is one that I've always really enjoyed. I think that you've got fantastic performances. I mean, even though um, Evelyn is slightly pushed to the side as Romana gets a bit more of a focus on her, Maggie Stables is still absolutely on the money, as always, bringing that sort of sense of realism and just bringing all these pretentious Time Lords back down to Earth. We've got, even though we've got some aliens with some potentially silly voices, uh, again, they're the fact that they're being ripped apart through time is great. And then, of course, we've got to add in the president and coordinator Van Sell of the CIA from Gallifrey as well, uh, who we originally met in the Sirens of Time. So, again, it should be something we should be buckling under all this. But I think there's a really, really good story. It keeps going and it keeps building. And the fact that you've got the Daleks building a device that's capable of ripping apart the entire universe and... It's obviously it's stopped, and um, we've just got so much, there's so much humour in there as well. Even though it's um, you know against the odds, particularly when the Daleks have invaded Gallifrey, what a cliffhanger that is! I really well, I think you can probably tell from this that I like it. And the fact that one of my friends who is not particularly a big fan of the Sixth Doctor, he listened to this one and he texted me straight away just to say, "Bloody hell! Why didn't we get anything like this for Colin Baker in TV? He's absolutely outstanding." I think that kind of says it all, and that's what Big Finish have really done 
for Colin, the fact they've given him, they've shown what he could and indeed what he should have been. Absolutely. I mean, it's um, it was still quite an early one and you could tell that within a few months of the first sort of releases, they, they really started to kind of show their sort of, you know, their confidence. So this, I mean, I remember, like, remember listening to this one and having to turn the volume down back in the day because of the sheer number of volume of explosions. <laughs> it, was, it was like, um, I remember sort of thinking it was like a Hollywood blockbuster action movie. You know, it was like an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie for your ears. It was classic. <laughs> the, thing, the thing I remember about when this story came out, and Kenny will, Kenny will remember this too, um, when each new Big Finish CD came out, quite, quite a lot of us that were buying them at the time developed the habit very quickly of going to the last track on the second disc because you would get the next time trailer. And sure enough, we did that for Apocalypse Elm. We jumped straight to the end of the last disc and you know, the last track on the last disc and listened to the trailer for the next story. So it was, wasn't straight away that we started listening to the story. But what Big Finish did, they knew that people were doing this. And they put a trailer for the first Paul McGann series at the start of the first disc. And I'd had this, I think I'd had it for a couple of days. My friend Tony phoned me and said, did you listen to the trailer? And I said, what trailer? And he said, the McGann trailer. And I went, what McGann trailer? And he said, it's, it's on the apocalypse element. I was like, no, it's not. He said, it's, yes, it is. It's on at the start. So that was the other exciting thing about it. It was the first glimpse, well, glim- is glimpse the word of something we're listening to? Um, the, first, <laughs> the, first sort of, the first chance to hear Paul McGann come back to it. So it was a ve- it's, it's a story I have very fond memories of, of just you know, the excitement of, in the time that Big Finish were doing New Doctor Who for the first time, and it was it was you know it was like the drought was over. It really was. That provides quite an insight into the life of a Doctor Who geek during the wilderness years, David. Absolutely, matey. It's true. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Ken, did you did you do the same thing, Kenny? Do you remember the, the McGann trailer at the start and all that? I absolutely, because I remember hearing that and thinking. What the hell? I think I must have listened to that about three or four times in a row, just because, oh my God, because obviously it builds up and we don't get McGann straight away. Right. It's, it's that. pretty much kept to the end, so particularly when yeah, there's was... going, the doctor, where's the doctor? And then it kicks in uh, a wee lift yeah. from um, Stones of Venice. Yep. So, where uh, in the list of Big Finish uh, releases did Apocalypse Element come? Is this one of the fairly early ones? I think off the top of my head. Yep, number 11. So, quite early then. I I love listening to uh, the character of Evelyn Smythe. I think she is just such a brilliant character. And I've always had a real affection for uh, Colin Baker's doctor. Uh, I think he unfairly gets a lot of criticism. Um, I would absolutely echo what, what Kenny said there. I would absolutely love to have seen the pair of them paired up on screen. Um, the audio adventures are fantastic with, with, with them in it, but I, I think we are sorely deprived of uh, a, just a fantastic partnership, which I would love to have seen on the television back in the 1980s. I was, I was just going to say, I have to say, on listening to it again, I was really struck by how good Lala Ward was, but also I felt I felt Evelyn was a little bit, bit kind of a, a bit of a short straw in this one. She she was very quippy. I found it quite distracting at points. But you know, but Lala was amazing. You know, she was always great in the TV series. But coming back to Romana after what twenty years or whatever, she was phenomenal. Is this the first time that we have understood about her becoming having become president of the High Council? It's in the books. It's in some of the new adventures and right. missing adventures that she returns to Gallifrey and Big Finish have just picked up from that. Right, I see. Good. And of course, there's the really nice thing about it is that um, in the 2006 Doctor Who annual, 
Russell T. Davis makes mention of the Etra Prime incident being one of the opening skirmishes of the Time War. So I think that's quite nice um, that he's acknowledged that it's been part of the greater conflict as well. Yeah. A bit like in the Night of the Doctor when Paul McGann's Doctor pays tribute to some of his companions that he's had, uh, Big Finish companions. And I think yeah. from the novels as well, perhaps. We get that mention of Fitz is in the novelisation of yeah. the Day of the Doctor, and uh, and that brings us all that brings them all back into canon, which was a, another little surprise present for all the fans uh, on the fiftieth anniversary. Tom, before yes, we move on, <laughs> did you know that um, Davros used to like to buy his creations, priceless artworks from Planet Earth? Did he? Yeah, his real favourite were the Remembrance of the Daleks. Leave this conversation now, Kenny. Professor, I'm so sorry. But I must stop you. You're destroying all our work, though. Oh, now I can say I was provoked. You never think all those years standing beside me to ask about that watch. Never. Did you never once think, not ever, that you could set me free? John, I'm sorry. No, John, I'm so sorry. You, with your chain and your dove driving me insane. John, remember, please. That is not my name. The professor was an invention. So perfect a disguise that I forgot who I am. John, then who are you? And here's what TARDISFANDOM.COM says about Utopia. It was the 11th episode of Series 3 of Doctor Who. It notably featured the first televised reappearance of The Master since 1996's Doctor Who, the TV movie. This marked not only the first time two new different incarnations of The Master were seen in an episode of the show, but also the first time The Master was seen properly regenerating on screen. This story continued on from the end of the Torchwood episode, End of Days, with a six-month gap in between broadcasts. It also continued in The Sound of Drums, leading some, including the Doctor Who magazine survey, to take it as a three-part story. However, Russell T. Davis always took it to be a separate story. Right, Davey, what do you think of Utopia? Utopia, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's um, where to start. It's, it's a story, I think, an episode, really rather, that really shows, I think, how much Doctor Who had captured the popular imagination and really was so sure of itself in it. Because we had, we had John Sim turn up as the new master at the end, fresh, fresh from the second series of Life on Mars, so that was quite, quite zeitgeisty. But also, Doctor, the, the comeback of Doctor Who had been so successful, but at this point we had also Torchwood sort of spin-off series starring Captain Jack. So... The first series of Torchwood finished with Jack and the Hub. You know, we'd had all the stuff established. We, you know, that we he had the, he had the hand, and he was you know, we knew he was waiting for the Doctor. So when the hand started bubbling, and the papers and the the Hub started getting flown about all over the place because the TARDIS was landing, and then we had to wait months until the Doctor Who episode that actually tied it up and you know showed us what happened next. And I remember sitting very clearly thinking, 
that doesn't really quite tie up with how the Torchwood episode finished because that gave you the impression the TARDIS was landing inside the Torchwood hub. But anyway, it was just so exciting seeing Jack back in the TARDIS um, because Barman, Barman had, a, had, a, had a fairly reasonable profile before he did Doctor Who, but it absolutely catapulted him. I think he's, he was definitely one of the biggest successes of the, of the first series. And um, I know a lot of people were disappointed when he was left behind at the end of the Parting of the Ways. And Tor- Torchwood seems to have a very sort of, um, I think Torchwood, you either love it or you hate it. From my experience recently of hearing people talking about it, is you, that's really the case. And I, I loved it. I was, I was, you know, absolutely target demographic. I was all about it and really enjoyed the first series, enjoyed the second series ever, even more. And this episode, Utopia, um, as well as looking like another one that, you know, that could have been filmed in the quarry and bar head where we made our college video project all those years ago. <laughs> it just had, um, it was just relentless. I mean, Derek Jacobi. I mean, this was another indication of how popular and how successful the return of the series was. That they had Derek Jacobi, an absolute acting giant, to come in to play Professor Yana. And there was all the stuff about the Doctor and Jack sort of reconnecting and, you know, the explanation for why the Doctor left him behind and we got some more information about everything that's been going on in Jack's life since he'd last seen the Doctor. It was, you know, it was fanboy heaven. And then, of course, the absolutely amazing scene when Martha twigs that, he had, that you know, the Professor has a watch, like the one the Doctor had had a couple of stories previously. And then when the Master, you know, he opens the watch, starts getting his memories back. And just the way Jacoby played it, you, you just saw everything, this kindly old man just becoming this, evil, evil creature. It's phenomenal. Again, as I've said, you know, the last couple of episodes of the, the podcast that we've done, we've talked about quite a few Russell T. Davis episodes now. And I've just I was just struck by the energy, the um just the ease of watching. It's like, you know, I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna use it as an excuse to to um to criticize the the showrunners that followed Russell. Um but I really felt, you know, this was how you do it. The pace, the energy, there was humour, there was pathos. It was just perfect. Kenny? I think what you say there about Derek Jacobi, um, fantastic. It's the moment when he's opening watch, and that must be some of the best eye acting ever. I don't mean that cheekily. I mean it genuinely. When the professor's changing into the master and just his eyes just go cold. It's just such a difference, and it's so subtly done. It's brilliant. I think Jacobi is just outstanding as a master and it's such a shame that we got so little screen time with him but obviously we're getting plenty of him in audio now hooray um i just think i really enjoy utopia i think it's it's, it's almost it's like almost like an action epic movie all in the space of 45 minutes um you know things are starting to pay off from the start of the season with the likes of you're not alone um and just even just you know the return of Jack and the fact that he's the, the Doctor's very wary of him as well, which obviously you wouldn't expect, and then we realise exactly why he ran away from him. Don't completely understand, but um, why he would do that instead of helping, which is what the Doctor would normally do. But I think he's very, very. I mean, Tennant and Barrowman are evidently uh, having a, a great time doing it as well as um, two Scotsmen. I think my favourite story from the recording of this one was that um, when they were doing the on-location stuff, they were having a farting competition in the TARDIS. <laughs> Poor Freema. That's that could be our next podcast episode. Farting in the TARDIS. Yeah, no, would you will have a farting competition? I'm kidding. Obviously. Oh, damn it! A smutty boy is a lonely boy, David. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? <laughs> Obviously, you know, um, Derek Jacobi is the star of this particular uh, show. But one thing Rusty Davis was superb at was providing visual images that really stuck in your head. And even when he was playing a bit fast and loose with 
the kind of mythology of of Doctor Who. So I mean, I, I raised an eyebrow when I saw you know at the beginning in the pre-credit sequence when Jack is hanging on to the TARDIS as it flies through the vortex. Now normally we would say that's ridiculous, that couldn't happen, you would die, blah blah blah. But it was such an arresting image. It was such a dramatic image and it just caught your attention and brought you right into the centre of the story. You you had to see what happened next once you saw that image of Hartness clinging to the outside of the TARDIS because you'd never seen that before. The same as the last scene of Partners in Crime where Don and the Doctor are waving out of the TARDIS door as it flies away. Now we know as Doctor Who fans of long standing that the TARDIS doesn't fly in any physical sense. But Davis just loved doing that and, and ignoring what the fans' pre preconceptions were and just creating an image that was lovely and attractive and that people wanted to see. And it was, you know, that was, he was always doing that. And I think to the benefit of the show, and that scene with Hartness clinked outside of the TARDIS, I think is just a really important uh, image. And I, th I think it's fantastically done. Definitely. Definitely. As for the rest of the show, the rest of the story, um, once again, you know, I, I think as with School Reunion, I think the reintroduction of the Master overshadows just about every other part of the narrative, although obviously in terms of the, the wider arc, events of this episode, not just the Master, but in terms of what happens to the, the human race in the future does, you know, impinge on the next two episodes. But the story itself is, is a little bit Kind of light, I think. Um, there are not that many special effects. You've got people with uh, prosthetic teeth chasing everyone around and trying to be scary, and 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 even they were regulated from the post of monster of the week to second most important monster of the week. Once again, it didn't really matter, did it? Because Derek Jacobi was in it. It was it was probably the end of the season. They were probably trying to save money. <laughs> was um Graham Harper directed this one as well, didn't he? Yes, he did. Yeah, um, and 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 you can tell because it's just it has it just feels so much like proper Doctor Who. You know, I've I've really really enjoyed watching the the Russell episodes again the last couple of weeks. It's been it's been great. It's just ah, oh, we never had it so good. I don't um, again. I'm not using that as an excuse to slag off anyone else. I think the interesting thing when I you know, was reading back and at the time, um, how the reaction was to. John Sims opening moments as the master, who fans were absolutely slating him. They were just saying, "This is disgraceful." Yeah. Look, we've got um, we've had a fantastically subtle performance from Derek Jacobi, and now we've got this over-the-top new master, kind of forgetting the post-regeneration trauma. It takes a little bit to settle down, um, but there was an awful lot of anger at the time that we didn't get more Jacobi, which um, a bit strange. But it's all part of the drama of the fact that. Um, you know, if the Doctor can be young and strong, then so can I, the Master Reborn. All yeah. Comes, and it's very yeah. quotable too. I, re I, remember, I remember that, yeah, people being a bit kind of, oh, hang on. And he was, and there was a bit of resistance to, to, to Sim from the, from the way he played it in the next couple of episodes. But I think you have to remember as well, he'd just come from playing Sam Tyler, who was quite keyed up, quite restrained, a very by-the-book policeman. So obviously the actor himself, was, he's not going to want to carry on doing exactly the same thing. I remember my mum staying at the time, um, with great insight, it must have been. Did, I can't remember if we talked about this when we um when we we covered the oh what was it called? What was the one after Utopia called? Sound of Drums. The last of the, yeah. yeah, yeah. When we talked about, I think I may have said this already. When we talked about Sound of Drums. It was my mum saying that John Sim was playing the master, 
in a way that was very pitched very closely to the way David Tennant was playing the Doctor. You know, they were they were so complementary of each other. Um, and I think you know, I think we can forgive an actor and enjoy himself and want to do something different, can't we? I think I'm glad that I wasn't, and I never have taken part in any of the forums. Because I saw, and I wanted to go on to this after talking about Derek Jacobi's you know, brilliant performance, I wanted to talk about Sim because it is just as brilliant, but in a mental way. I, I, I just loved the energy and I, and I, I was fascinated and genuinely uh, distraught when he stole the TARDIS, you know, leaving the Doctor with the far-flung uh, time range of the universe and I just thought what that is probably even now I think one of the the best cliffhangers that we've seen and 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 Sim is just fantastic he is he's dangerous he's funny he's insane frankly everything you want in a master strong agree yeah and yeah I I was just going to say that in terms of cliffhangers it's absolutely I mean Russell T's given us some amazing cliffhangers over the years but that one is right up there along with um when the tenants regenerating at the end of the stolen earth as well, absolutely creating these moments that everybody's been discussing for seven days until the resolution, which has never really happened since. But Russell T was the absolute master of it. As we've said in a previous episode of this podcast, when it came to the sound of drums, I always felt that they rather devalued this, the power of that cliffhanger by using a Deus Ex Machina trick to get... Jack and Martha and the Doctor back into the present time just with a little, a little gizmo that they had lying around, um, yeah. but but that doesn't detract from the power of the of the actual cliffhanger. Absolutely, we should probably say a little bit about Freema as well. Freema gets quite a lot of good stuff in this episode too. You know, she gets a relationship with Chantho. There's a bit more of the ongoing arc about you know her sort of ri- you know rivalry with Rose because obviously Jack knew who Rose was and you know. Um, I always liked the line when the Doctor says we're at the end of the universe and you two are blogging, whatever it was. It's, a, it's, it's, a, it's quite a good one for Freema as well, we should say that. I think she's great in this one. She, very much there's the, you know, when she finds out that uh, Rose is blonde and stuff, and it's just, you can see her, just her, her wee heart gets crushed just a little bit more every single time. <laughs> yeah. it's, very, it's very clever writing once again from Russell T. Well, that's us for this episode. If anyone listening to this has got their own suggestion, for a theme for a future episode if you're interested in some of the missing adventures or the virgin paperbacks or indeed big audio uh, big finish audio then let us know through our twitter account that's power of three pod um, or the website that's power of three pod.com and leave your suggestion and we'll have a think about uh, about actually doing an episode in that theme in the meantime it's Cheerio from me. It's Cheerio from me. Take care. Be good. Take care, everyone. And remember, you are not alone. Mm-hmm.